Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential. I wanted to give a disclaimer before this episode starts. Okay, legal. Let's get this out of the way. Yeah, so disclaimer. Which one of these cameras is on? Uh, Is it this one? All right. Yeah. I just wanted to tell our audience about how much, uh, like as a fair warning, how much dumb brain I'm going to have this episode. Um, And just so that they know that this isn't something that's going to happen from here on out. Like I'm not getting progressively stupider. But yes... (laughs) But yesterday I was traveling for 26 straight hours and my body is too big to sleep on a traditional aircraft. So I wanted people to know that yes, I am dumber than usual. No, it is not a thing that you will see every episode. That's kind of a roundabout humble brag to be like, I traveled for 26 hours and I am alive now. So I am made of sturdy stock. It was definitely a good travel for sure. But it's also like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a little too long to be in a thing. <laughs> like sure flying is easier than driving to an extent but i was in that that metal thing for quite a bit at least when you're in a train you can have a uh, a sleeping quarter well when you're in a train you've got tons of different things you've got a sleeping quarter you've got a whole drinking room you get to duck under the seats when the the black hat cowboys blow by it's the best all the good stuff happens on trains trains are heckin expensive though uh I can afford it, though, because, uh, quick brag on myself, I'm pretty dang good at saving money. Although I've realized that that skill comes from my ability to make do with just about anything. This is something I was kind of made fun of for recently when, uh, someone saw my methods of cooking in which they realized I don't own a single lid to anything. Like, I just don't own lids. And so if I'm draining pasta, I put a plate up against the, the... (laughs) I put a plate up against... See, you laugh, but I didn't even realize. I put a plate up against the pot and then poured the hot water out and then, like, usually scald my wrist a little bit, use, lose a few noodles. But it, like, it never even crossed my mind to just go buy a pot with a lid. I'm not even kidding. Or a colander. Like, if I... I will just do whatever it takes to make do with what I have. Uh, and I think that is noble and admirable to a... F- to a point and then it becomes a fault so this is a uh, i might even sound differently this is the first podcast where i haven't had to drag my desk into the middle of my apartment so that the ethernet cable can reach because <laughs> you de- went and my, bought I'm, a new ethernet cable i went and bought an ethernet cable and my i changed my life <laughs> 25 episodes i have dragged my desk Drag my computer, drag my chair into the center of my apartment, recorded, and then pushed it all back. So you're telling me that when your computer was against the wall, it didn't have internet? No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you moved it to the middle of the room, you had internet. Yeah. And it, I, this morning, I guess because I, I rested more than seven hours and I had a good cup of coffee, I had this epiphany. I was like, wait a minute. I have a job that gives me currency. I should go buy an ethernet cable. <laughs> and a longer ethernet cable. Like how much did you spend on the ethernet cable? I was like 20 bucks. And it's like 33 feet long. <laughs> <laughs> I bought an ethernet cable a couple of years ago when I was living in a dorm. And it was like an, a 10 foot long ethernet cable on Amazon for maybe $3. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I probably even overpaid and it was still totally worth it. 
How long have you been living in this apartment where you have had no internet most of the time? I mean, I have Wi-Fi on my uh, my rickety steam-powered uh, laptop, but for my desktop with a computer that's actually usable, yes, I have to pull my desk into the middle of the room. Uh, I think we're a little too much on this. Let's get back to talking about how good I am at saving money, because um, that seems like the positive. Plus, that's just me combating my 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 reptilian instincts to spend money all the time. You know, like. I have this base instinct to just throw my money away and gamble it away at the first opportunity. So I'm actively fighting against my reptilian heritage. We're talking about reptile people today. Mm. Mm. And I know this is something we've touched on before, and it's something that could go way off the rails. But I actually have what may be a pretty unique theory around the reptilian people. Race aliens? Question mark. Let's get into it. And we're gonna give some backstory here, right? Because I wanna, I wanna make sure. Because I don't know a ton about the reptilian stuff. As far as backstory, we're gonna go literally millions of years back. So this is the most back any story can be. But just reptiles and or the reptilian race, people more or less just know it as a punchline. It's kind of the joke conspiracy and. The origins of the conspiracy aren't really appreciated in a very similar way that the Illuminati is kind of just like a joke, but once you actually start looking into it, there's a lot more there. It's pretty recent. The Illuminati conspiracy goes back way, way farther than the reptilian race does. Actually, it really only surfaced in the late 90s. So this is actually coming from Time Magazine. Thanks, Time. They didn't give me permission, but here I go. They are among us. Blood-drinking, flesh-eating, shape-shifting, extraterrestrial, reptilian humanoids with only one objective in their cold-blooded little heads. To enslave the human race. They are our leaders, our corporate executives, our beloved Oscar-winning actors and Grammy-winning singers. And they're responsible for the Holocaust, the Oklahoma City bombings, and the 9-11 attacks. Or at least according to former BBC reporter David Icke, I-C-K-E, who for the purposes of this broadcast will be referred to as Mr. Icky, who became the poster human, poster child, for the theory in 1998 after publishing his book, The Biggest Secret. This contained interviews with uh, Brits who claimed to be members of the royal family and that the, the lineage of the crown is nothing more than reptiles. Huh. It kind of like, it's it's almost substitutable. You can almost substitute it for the Illuminati because it's just like this idea that there's one organization that's pulling all the strings. It sounds like there's one big difference between the two. Okay. This one involves lizards. Yeah, that <laughs> it's pretty key. And that uh, that's one of the things why it's, why it's a punchline because it's like, okay, if you put a wig and a hat on a crocodile, I still know something's up. Like, how are you going to pass off a reptile for our beloved queen? Yeah, I don't know how many other animals. If you took the head of a crocodile and the head of, like, the Queen of England and put them next to each other, I don't know what animal would be further from the human face than a crocodile's face. You know what I mean? Just basic shape-wise, like, one of them is kind of the shape of a balloon, and the other one is a crocodile. Yeah. You could show me a capybara. And the queen, I'm like, I kind of see it. It's a little, little family resemblance, maybe. Like if you if you're moving it around and wiggling it, I was like, and you if you had a, <laughs> if you had a capybara in the queen's outfit and we're moving the photo around slowly, I would be like, oh hey, that's an interesting photo of the queen. 
But if you did that with a lizard, I would be much more quick to notice. (laughs) You'd have to get some distance to fool me with that. I mean, even just color is a big element to that. I guess that's where the shape-shifting part comes in. Like, they can change their face? I don't know. That definitely goes way into the area where it's just goofy and it's laughable. But there's a ton of different theories as to who the reptilians are, what they truly look like, where they came from, and I think I've kind of formulated my own. But before we get into the origins, let's run a quick test, and this is something you can do at home. Are you a reptile person? I just checked my nose, and it feels like a human nose, so I don't think so. Okay, but it's more subtle than you might think. Here's some of the key attributes of being a reptile person. Predominance of green or hazel eyes that change color like a chameleon, but also blue eyes. So literally, if you don't have brown eyes, you're kind of suspect. Okay. Catch me in a blue shirt, I got blue eyes. Catch me in a green shirt, I got green eyes. Piercing eyes, okay, we're still on the eyes. True red or reddish hair. Okay. A sense of not belonging in society. Low blood pressure. A deep compassion for the fate of mankind. Keen sight or hearing. Psychic abilities or ESP. Unexplained scars on the body. Capability of disrupting electrical appliances. If you answered yes to one or more of these criteria, you qualify for, I don't, well, I don't know what you would qualify for, just you're no longer trustworthy. I love the juxtaposition of some of those items next to each other. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like the, if, you, the, if, uh, if your hair has any tint of red, or if you have psychic abilities, you might you be a reptile. If you can lift objects with your mind or have low blood pressure, you might be a reptile man. <laughs> so let's now throw it way back to the origins of human beings because there have been multiple species of humans. So there's the Homo sapiens, what well, we are, but going back a little farther, we got Homo erectus and the Neanderthals. Hey. <laughs> that... Come on now. Hey. This is a podcast we're proud of. Let's keep. Hey. Come on. Hey, hey, hey. I was trying to get this. I was trying to get through that so fast. Could you sense how much I was hurrying through that to not give you a chance? That's the only reason I did it. It was because I could tell you were like homo erectus and the next word is the. But there's um, Neanderthals, and now we're, there's traces of theoretical other like subspecies of humans. But these are human-like creatures that evolved separately, coming from different sources, different apes, at, on different sides of the planet. Homo sapiens emerged close to 300,000 to 200,000 years ago, most likely in Africa, and the Neanderthals emerged around the same time in Europe and Western Asia. From possibly as early as 250,000 years ago, and certainly by 130,000 years ago, the so-called Southern Dispersal began and led the lasting colonization of Eurasia and Oceania by 50,000 years ago. All that to say that there was a point around 40,000 years ago that Neanderthals and, and what we can call humans today, live together. And that's why today you can find in people's DNA traces of Neanderthal DNA. So even though though Neanderthals are extinct, they were close enough to humans that they could have children together, and then that DNA got mixed in, and it still exists in us today. Okay, you're on board so far? So far, yeah. I'm good. The theory that I'm proposing and has been sort of hinted at by other conspiracy theorists is that if you can have different mammals, different apes on other sides of the planet, 
and they both evolve similarly enough that they can even crossbreed, then could you do that starting from someplace other than an ape? So could it be possible that 300, 400,000 years ago, a particularly intelligent race of reptiles evolved to a form that is very, very similar to what we consider humanoid? And those reptile people were able to crossbreed with other ancient humans. And so that is why there is such a distinct trace of reptile DNA in us even to this day. Like, you know, this, we have the reptile brain, like our base brainstem, like the four Fs, fight, flight, uh, fornicate, and feed. So those four major instincts are kind of part of what we call like the primordial brainstem, and that we share almost exactly with reptiles. I'm saying that actually comes from our ancestors. And just like how some people have more Neanderthal DNA, I think some people have more reptile DNA. That's interesting. I mean, obviously, the theory that we and apes originated from the same source has a lot of scientific backing. A lot of the the bone structure is similar and a lot of stuff like that is similar. Do we have stuff similar to that with any reptile stuff that you know about? Or is this something you're entirely speculating? Which I am perfectly fine with, but it... Are there, is there a history of any kind of, other than the brain system, is there a history of any kind of structural similarities between uh, humanoid bodies and any form of extinct or not extinct reptile bodies? Well, the similarities started around 1957. Paul McLean is kind of the, he's the scientist who popularized that name of like reptile brain. He theorized the human brain consists of three sections, so nested in the back, or he believed the uh, neocortex, which is thought to arise in primates, that's the largest, outermost, newest part of the human brain. So that houses our conscious mind, handles our learning, language, abstract thought, high intelligence, high-minded stuff. But McLean thought that older, deeper limbic system, which that is more automatic things like emotion and motivation, social things like that, originated in mammals in general. But finally, the, he traced the brainstem back to primordial reptiles, theorizing that it controlled our base reflexes and major instincts. Now, actually, since then, there has been more research to suggest, this is actually even the past decade, that we are even closer to reptiles than we thought in the 50s. Uh, it's been more or less disproven that the mind can be separated into these three distinct fields like that. You know, you have human, we have primate, mammal, reptile, and it's kind of like tiered, but it's actually a lot more loosey-goosey, kind of harder to pin down than that. If you compare the neurons of a reptile's pallium, the upper layers of the cells in the brain, to those of a mouse and a human, the neurons from the neocortex there, meaning the, uh, the neocortex being like the highest form of thought, mm-hmm. then they compare, they compare the reptile neurons to, man, this is a whole mess of words to get through it. And I'm actually just going to skip it. Just skip it. You can go to massivescience.com. They're the ones who posted this. Learn yourself the science. But taken together, the comparison showed that rather than considering the reptilian brain as a distinct unit separate from mammalian limbic systems and the neocortex, the three really can't be clearly distinguished from one another. Instead, uh, reptiles actually have primitive versions of the quote-unquote higher brain areas that we do. But that actually is a step towards the uh, reptilian theory because we are even closer in the way that we think than we used to believe. Two reptilians? Yeah. 
I really just bring that up to show that there is nebulous evidence to connect living human beings to reptiles in the same way that we can connect ourselves to ancient humans and apes. That's wild. So evolutionary, so, there's an, there is a real argument that reptile people exist. Is there more to it than that? I don't know. I'm just going to gloss clean over the fact that most reptiles lay eggs and assume that they still figured out how to have sex anyway. But that's still more believable to me than there being a reptilian race from outer space that's acting as puppet masters even to this day. That's kind of where the um, the suspicious scars came from, is the idea that you were abducted by reptile people and operated on. I'm reading a book right now called Impossible Owls, which I talked to you about a little bit yesterday. But one of the, and it's a collection of essays by journalist Brian Phillips, and I highly recommend it. But the essay I just read called The Lost Highway talks a lot about how people who claim to have been abducted by aliens, for the most part, sound coherent and perfectly normal other than this traumatic experience. The way he frames it makes me think that that kind of alien abduction isn't as crazy as it sounds. Like, obviously, it, I still am not... Oh yeah, people get abducted by aliens all the time. But like apparently in the in the South Midwest, kind of where I live actually, but more in New Mexico and Arizona, that's a commonly held belief. So is the is the primary belief reptiles abducted them and then changed their bodies and brains somehow and then sent them back as the yeah. same person? Yes. And that I don't get. Yeah, I think I think an evolutionary standpoint makes more sense, although is this theory that the lizard people are more successful typically than regular people? Yeah, I mean, this is what I'm getting at. And I haven't even seen this, so you can quote me on this, credit this to me. So you have people who with, have stronger Neanderthal DNA. I don't know if it's Thal or Tall. I've heard it both ways. They typically have like more natural musculature on their body. Mm -hmm. Neanderthals were really short, but they were super stocky and like very thick bone, very muscular. And people with a lot of Neanderthal DNA tend to build muscle really easily. I'm thinking, I want to propose that people who have stronger reptilian heritage have stronger natural instincts that propel them towards success in life. That's interesting and believable to an extent. To an extent. And that's why I am now starting to doubt even myself because I think I might be a reptile person, Jackson. Why? I, th I think that I'm living proof that this is true. Look, I mean, I just I pick up on skills so fast that I must have stronger instincts, and I think it comes from my reptile grandpappy. I mean, check I mean check this out. <clears throat> I've been practicing. Uh, I've been practicing kazoo. Now, normal human being, that would have taken a month. Uh, I learned how to do that in three weeks, and I don't think that I really have the work ethic to really explain how that's possible. I think I have sharper instincts than a normal mammalian human. I'm impressed, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all I can say. I I believe in reptile people now. There's no way that I think you've broken a human record there. Ow! Oh, oh, I'm getting my green blood everywhere. Oh, one second. Where were we? Anything else on the reptile thing? I think it, it does make way more sense to me as an evolutionary thing than an alien thing. I think the idea that we have that these futuristic aliens are just plopping down on our planet and randomly replacing things and people doesn't make sense from a lot of standpoints. But one standpoint I don't think we talk about often enough is the idea that why would these aliens want to just randomly replace some of us? What would be the benefit of that? Yeah, I'm not sure, but we can look around for proof that it has happened. 
So let's go to Barack Obama. Reptile person? Let's go to the United States. It doesn't have to be about the queen. We can run them past... Now that we have the criteria, we can run this check on anybody. Barack Obama. Um, blue, green eyes? Yep. Uh, Obama's eyes usually are brown, but maybe they can change. So, you know. According to his doctors, Obama has low blood pressure? Check. Deep compassion for the fate of mankind? Obviously, checkaroo. Keen hearing or eyesight? The president does not wear glasses and does not have a hearing aid. This is an old article because it calls him the president. Ability to disrupt electronic appliances. That's pretty significant. Um, when Barack Obama was president, his teleprompter broke all the time. This would be like if there was just an X-Man who was really good at frying eggs. <laughs> and Level so like, one X-Men. So like all of the X-Men have any power any ability, anything, and anything can qualify to be an X-Man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying, but that's all I have. Uh, frankly, you should feel grateful that I'm even associating with you a lesser being, me being a part of the great reptile race. But you know, you are uh, you might find some mild success in life, uh, rooting for you for sure. Well, I, I greatly appreciate that. You know what it is right now, Asher? What? It is the season. Tis it the is. season for Christmas. It's November. We got back to America yesterday, and Shannon immediately goes, it's Christmas. <laughs> because my wife is a delightful, just sunshine of a person. Yeah. If you can imagine, any of you guys that don't know my wife, if you can imagine a person that is the human embodiment of a smile, that is my wife. If you could make a physical form around the phrase holly jolly, that is Shannon. 100%. But yeah. Since it's getting colder outside and it's starting to snow, you ready to hit the snow? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's at least let's at least have some fun with this. I had been uh, I had been not planning on bringing a hit the snopes because I currently have my severe case of dumb brain, but I always have hated chewing gum like really hated chewing gum. And I recently realized I hate hearing other people chew gum nearby as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I always chew gum when I'm flying on a plane because it is uh, it helps your the pressure in your ears not pop too much or anything and give you like a yeah, bad- Yeah, I should tell you, that's perfectly acceptable. Even if yeah. you hate gum, that's like, that's an acceptable place to chew gum. So Shannon and I have a big box of gum that we just use for flying. <laughs> because okay. neither of us like chewing gum really at all. I don't know if she did pre-me, but now she doesn't, which is either convenient or a nice thing she's decided to do. But today, today's Snopes episode deals with something I heard a lot as a kid, and I'm sure most people did. The idea that it if you swallow gum, it takes seven years to di digest it. Have you heard that? Hmm. Yeah, of course. Complete nonsense. Yeah? Which is, I think even as like a six-year-old, when my parents or somebody would tell me this, I would think, that doesn't super sound right. I poop a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I have empirical evidence that things do not stay in me for long. But yeah, so apparently, and so I've always just swallowed my gum when I want to get rid of it on a plane because you would have stressed me the hell out as a kid because I had a friend, I, I bought into this 100%. And I had a friend who would always swallow gum as a stunt and I literally thought I was going to have one of my childhood friends die. I thought his life was forfeit when he like he swallowed so much gum. I was like, "There's no more room for food. He's gonna starve." I want 
that's your reasoning there is that it's not like clogging up a hole or anything. He's just going to have a stomach that's entirely full and he can't put anything else in there. Yeah. (laughs) It was just spatial reasoning. Okay. I don't, I don't know where this comes from, but it definitely is some sort of old wives tale, but there's nothing to support this rumor scientifically. What gum is made from is typically gum base, and gum base is composed of a a mixture of elastomers, resins, fats, emulsifiers, and waxes that resist the body's efforts to break it down. And that's the part uh, that is the digestion process. So So you just just had the most hyper-intelligent way of saying that gum is made of gum. Yeah, gum is made of gum. And technically, you could claim, yes, gum is indigestible. But remember how small gum is typically when you swallow it. Just because it's indigestible doesn't mean it's not going to quickly go through your body. Hmm. It's just the stuff it's made from is not the kind of stuff your stomach acid is used to destroying. And so it doesn't get destroyed by the time you've pooped it out. The same way way when you eat corn, the next day when you poop, there is a good chance to be a decent amount of corn in that poop, right? Yeah, but eating corn is not a stunt. Like, it's not dangerous. It's not dangerous to eat corn, and it is the exact same thing for gum. Your body cannot digest it properly, but that doesn't mean that it just stays in your body for seven years. Hey, you remember Safety Pops? No. Do you, oh, you don't remember Safety Pops? Maybe this is a Louisiana thing. I don't know. Hopefully listeners at home can relate. There used to be these Pops, I guess lollipops or whatever you want to call them, suckers, as we always called them, that the, the stick that the sucker is on is like a rope and it's made into a loop. Oh, so you, if you got it stuck in your throat, you could pull that pull that sucker out. That's the idea, but I just realized how stupid that is because the whole damn thing's going to go down. Like, it, it doesn't... I, they weren't any good anyway, so maybe I shouldn't be too upset. I just committed a crime. I just did one of the things where you vote for your favorite flavor, and I don't think I've ever had a safety pop. And so now the, now the whole poll is going to be thrown. But yeah, so apparently uh, you should be swallowing your gum if you're an adult. But How yeah. about we just go ahead and get rid of the risk altogether and never chew gum unless you are thousands of feet in the air? Because and you can't. I try. I don't want to judge people based on the clothes they choose. I have reached that point, but I have not reached the point where I can meet someone who smacks gum and have any belief at all that they're a person I want to associate with. And it's so frustrating when you have a friend that started chewing gum and you notice, and it just you have to choose between that friendship. It's just, it's just tough for me. Don't do gum, kids. That's all I have. I'm not going to raise my kids as gum chewers. Well, if that's it for this week, then I'm going to tell you about the music that we both listened to on our journey today. At the start, we had Threadbare off the album Burn of Proof. That's uh, by Glenn Merle. He graciously lets us use that as our theme song. And you can check it out at glenmerlemusic.com or Spotify or iTunes. Wherever you get music, he's probably there. And then if you want to follow us on... Twitter or Instagram. Our Twitter is S Confident Show, and our Instagram is Strictly Confidential Show. We post a lot there and try and post about every episode and give you a little bit of information so you don't have to check a separate feed for that. And then uh, if you want to email us about any recommended, recommended, uh, wow, I, uh, <laughs> poo brain. I think uh, that's the dumb brain talking, but I'm typically pretty good at words. If you want recommended. to. If you want to give us any recommended topics, we would love to take those topics and use them as our own topic. And our email for that is strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. Also want to thank Connor Voigt for our Hit the Snopes jingle that we love very much. And uh, we would love to interview you. We'd love to have you on the show if you want to come tell us your crazy theories 
And if you like this show, please tell your best friend because word of mouth is the best thing that we could even ask for. And if you also want to leave us a review, we love reading those reviews. It's um, as crazy as it is. Both of us probably go through those reviews every couple weeks or so, right? And it's just, it's really delightful to get to hear. I mean, whether or not it's a criticism or a compliment, it's just delightful to get to learn what you guys think. And we've already reached 25 episodes. Really think about that, Jackson. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's pretty buck wild. I mean, what what episode number is this? Is this our 25th? Yeah, this is 25. That's crazy. 25 weeks of whatever this is. And we've had some people along for the whole ride. So if that's you, thanks so much for sticking around. We've been having such a blast making it. And we don't intend on stopping anytime soon. But as for this week, that's all I got. Uh, So I've been Asher. And I've been Jackson. And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. And as always, until next time... Stay curious.